Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome everybody. Whoops. Welcome everybody to our Aliyah day. Glad you're here from wherever you are watching. I hope you're having a blessed, wonderful, exciting, magnificent day. Hope it's going well and that it'll be even better as the day goes on. Baruch Hashem. We are continuing our uh, review our our discussion lessons as you as it were, were in the parasha Vayeshev from the book of Genesis chapter thirty seven. We are in the third Aliyah today, Shlishi, and <clears throat> we will be looking at chapter thirty seven and verse twenty three. Beginning verse twenty three is our Aliyah. So we're dealing with uh, the brothers who are betraying, have betrayed Yosef, and they're selling him into slavery, comparing that to uh, the obvious uh, picture that we have here of Messiah Yeshua and the salvation that we have ultimately through him. And so uh, we're going to be looking at some of those things again today and how, how this uh, manifests itself, so to speak. But I want to begin with something that uh, was uh, left off from yesterday. And yesterday's Aliyah, <clears throat> I didn't have time really to mention this or get into it so much. But it, there's a discussion in the Gutnik Humash um, as it pertains to why did Yosef uh, allow himself to be put in such danger for uh, such a small mitzvah. Uh, and the small mitzvah being, well, you know, that he was going to honor his father's wishes, um, that he's going to uh, uh, going to uh, carry out the 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 uh, the mission that his father had given him to go and check on his brothers, and it even happens when he meets Gabriel in the field. Maybe he knows it's Gabriel, but maybe he doesn't. But he realizes something's up, and so he basically goes into danger. And why does he go into danger? In other words, why does he go into an environment in which he knows is very dangerous? Because, as it's pointed out here, is that we're not allowed to be killed uh, for doing uh, the Torah unless it involves three specific uh, prohibitions. In other words, we're supposed to live by the commandments, not, not die by them. It's life before law, unless... It involves idolatry, uh, adultery, or murder. Those are the three sins we're never allowed to break, no matter what. So it says here that um, Tosafot say that if a person allows himself to be killed rather than transgress, he is considered to have performed an act of righteousness, according to Avodah Zarah. So Tosafot has a different rule. Ramban is talking here about that a person who decides to be killed for something other than those three is considered as if to take in his whole life, his, his, uh, his own life, rather. So there's a bit of a disagreement here. But, Nimuche Yosef brings down uh, a ruling that a great man who is pious and God-fearing, who sees that the generation is morally corrupt, is permitted to give up his life even over a small mitzvah, in order that the people should see and learn from him. So in other words, we have 
uh, they have a, a ruling here that a zadik is allowed to die for something other than those three sins, even for a small mitzvah, if it means that through his death he can bring the generation to teshuva. So I just wanted to point this out because very often when you when one is dealing with an anti-missionary point of view, it's trying to say that Yeshua is not the Mashiach. One thing that is awful, often said, and it's not at all true, is that someone has to die for their own sins. No one can die for you. Um, I want to tell you emphatically, we've, we've proven this uh, over the many years and, and uh, scores of drashas, that that is in fact not true, that Judaism teaches the exact opposite of that. Judaism teaches that a Zadik may die and bring atonement to a generation. And so what has happened with Yeshua is the Zadik, who's above all Zadikim, has brought atonement not just to our generation, but to previous generations and to future generations. And we know through studying the Midrash Rabbah and the Midrash, uh, the Yemenite Midrash and other Midrashim, we know that M- the Messiah has the power to do that. Because in fact, in one instance, when God is talking to the Messiah and asking him if he's willing to come and suffer, Messiah says, I am willing, but only if it means that every soul should be saved, not just the ones who are alive, but the ones who are yet to be born, and not just the ones who are yet to be born, but the ones who have already been born and died, and not just them, but also the stillborn of Israel. So we know that Mashiach's ultimate mission, his ultimate goal, was to come and let his life be a sacrifice. So we read in verse 23, And so it was. When Yosef came to his brothers, they stripped Yosef of his tunic, the fine woolen tunic that was on him. Isn't it interesting that when Yeshua was brought and sold to the Romans, as it were, that one of the first things they did is stripped him of his tunic? Isn't that interesting? And they put another tunic on him and mocked him, right? They, but they stripped him of his tunic. Everybody's jealous for the tunic. So it says, there's a reason why we're going to be talking. In fact, let's go ahead and say that. Why the tunic? So there's actually a uh, a source here from the Talmud, Zevakim 88b, also found in Arachim 16a, and apparently in the in, in Yerushalayim Yoma 7.3. And it talks about the Cohen's tunic. So why is the tunic? Why is the tunic such a big deal? Why was the tunic a big deal at, at, at the crucifixion of Mashiach? Why even mention it? Aside from the fact that they're mocking him, but why would they want to? Uh, why would they want to uh, cast lots for it? Why would they want to gamble for it? Did they even know why? Maybe they thought they were doing it for another reason, but there is actually a more spiritual reason as it relates to the tunic itself. Because why? Because Yeshua himself was a high priest, even though he was born of the line of David, he inherited the high priest vis-a-vis his mikvah at the hands of Yochanan the Immerser. When Yochanan the Immerser immersed Yeshua in the Jordan River, it was for one reason and one reason only. And that's so that he could receive upon himself the office of the high priesthood. This is precisely why uh, Melchizedek uh, blessed Avraham, as the sages tell us, was so that Avraham could, could inherit the priesthood. Melchizedek was both priest and king, once he blessed Avraham, Avraham himself, as the sages teach, was also priest and king. 
Why? Because he needed to offer up his one and only son. So Yeshua also had to be priest and king because he had to offer up himself. Because a priest, as the sages tell us, this is why Abraham had to be a high priest. Because only a high priest could make such an offering. So it says here, knowing that, that means that the cloak he's wearing is the cloak of a high priest. So it says here, the special clothing worn by the Kohanim as they perform the sacrificial service in the base of Migdash helps bring atonement. The uh, kutonis, the tunic, helps atone for the... Are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? Hope you're not driving or operating large equipment. It says the tunic helps atone for the sin of murder. So, the tunic of the Kohen actually is part of the atonement process according to the Talmud and specifically for the sin of murder. Why were they why were they gambling for the tunic? Why were they casting lots for the tunic? Why? Because it was part of the atonement for the fact that they were murdering the Mashiach, which was, in, which was actually part of God's plan. It pleased God, as it says in Isaiah 53, to crush him. But nevertheless, there needed to be atonement because they had in their hearts murder. So they needed the tunic, the tunic of who? The tunic of the great high priest, the tunic of Mashiach. It says... Our Pasuk notes that to fool their father, the brothers dipped ve'yit ve'lu, the tunuk hakonotonet, in the blood. The word ve'yit ve'lu is associated with immersion in a mikvah for spiritual purification, which is related to cleansing and atonement. So they dipped into the blood in much the same way that we are dipped in the, in the mikvah, which means that there's a connection between the waters of the mikvah and the blood of the offering. So when we go into the waters of the mikvah, it's as if we've been immersed in the blood of the offering. Why? Because the blood of the offering is the source of life, and the Torah is like in the water, the source of life. This is why uh, the sages talk about, we'll get to this when we talk about, and get into the book of Shemot, and we get into the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorpost, that uh, the Midrash Ravah actually likens the blood that was put on the doorpost to the words of Torah. That's in the Midrash Ravah. I've talked about that many times. It says here, the Pasuk, uh, I should also mention that when when uh, the uh, Roman uh, general, uh, Vespian, I believe it was, when he went into the uh, temple, and he defiled the uh, temple during the, uh, the the second temple destruction, the uh, actual historians bring down, I believe it's cited in, in the Midrash and also in Josephus, if I'm not mistaken. But nevertheless, it says that when he started to, he, 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 got, he flew into a rage and he decided to take his sword and cut up the Torah scrolls that were in the temple. And as he began to cut the Torah scrolls, they started to bleed. Incidentally, okay, <laughs> this one thing leads to another. Uh, when it says that uh, Moshe in the Midrash Rabbah, it talks about Moshe when he, when he struck the rock in the wilderness, remember that he was supposed to speak to the rock and water was supposed to come out, but instead he struck it, and as a result, he and Aaron were not allowed to go into the Holy Land. It says when he struck it, he struck it twice. He struck it the first time, blood came out. He struck it the second time, water came out. So anyway, we've got to move on. We've got to talk about the, the, uh, the tunic. So, so it says the Pasuk is hinting that in the future, the, uh, the ketunet, the, the tunic, will atone 
for blood. That is, it will atone for murder. So this pasuk is telling us that because the tunic was dipped in blood, it will atone for murder. And what, what is murder actually? Why is it that murder is so, uh, so much forbidden? It talks about animals should be killed if they, ha- act, if they uh, happen to kill a human being. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. And so the ultimate murder was the murdered Mashiach, who is the manifestation of the image of God, like Memtet. Come up to Hashem. Come up to Memtet. So, uh, we see here that the tunic has special value, particularly when it was used uh, to atone for murder. And incidentally, it's, it is interesting that they actually uh, dipped the tunic in goat's blood. Why goat's blood? Why not lamb's blood? Because lamb's blood was used to affect our freedom from Egypt, but goat was used to affect our atonement. So, continue the, the story. It says, uh, they stripped him of his tunic. Then they took him and cast him into the pit. The pit was empty. No water was in it. So the sages point out, why does it say there was no water in it? What would be the big deal? Of course there's no water in it, but this is an allusion to the fact that it did have something in it. It did have, It was full of scorpions and serpents. So they point out that actually in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this uh, mess that's going on here, that there's actually a great mitzvah that's being performed for Yaakov, that he's actually thrown into a, a well that has serpents and scorpions, but he didn't die. So Hashem gave him a great miracle. And so, it says here in the article Humash, uh, first of all, it says, they took him and cast him, and it says, although Yosef pleaded with the brothers not to do this to him, he apparently offered no physical resistance, since he was hopelessly outnumbered. It reminds me of uh, when they came to get Yeshua in the garden, and uh, Kepha drew his sword to cut off the ear of one of the high priest's servants, and uh, Yeshua put it back, healed his ear. I'm sure that that led to that man's shuva. But anyway, uh, he told he told uh, Kepha, put away your sword. It's not that he was against sword control. He was a Second Amendment Jew. But he said, uh, why am I offering resistance? This is what I'm meant to do. And so he went and, and offered no resistance. So it says the, the pit was empty. No water was in it. If the pit, pit was empty... Isn't it obvious that no water was in it? It's kind of, it's kind of redundant, isn't it? Well, maybe. But as we pointed out yesterday, it was an allusion to the fact that the brothers lacked proper humility. There was no true Torah in them. They were empty wells. You know, like Yeshua said, you are your, your whitewashed tombs. You know, if you want to make Shuvah, you first clean the inside and then make the outside clean. So he's talking here about the brothers. Ultimately, the brothers were empty wells. They were wells with no water. Why? Because they didn't know who the true uh, Savior of the world was. This is why Yeshua said, if you come to me, then you'll be wells of living water, and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. But you've got to come to the right source. So it says here, there's no water in it. The, The redundancy implies that there was no water in it. But there were serpents and scorpions, according to Rashi, as it's pointed out in the Talmud and Shabbos 22a. However... The brothers could not have known that the pit contained lethal creatures. For Reuben, who suggested the plan, intended to save Yosef. He wanted to come back and get him out. So he would never have thrown him somewhere where he thought there were going to be uh, serpents 
and 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 deadly scorpions. And it says here in the art scroll something interesting that I would take issue with. It says, furthermore, Yosef's survival in such a pit was an open miracle. And the brothers would not have sold him if they had known that God had intervened to save his life. That comes from Mizraki. Really? I doubt it. Because here you have Yeshua, um, who is uh, performing open miracles, raising the dead, healing the, the blind, healing the deaf, healing the leper. You realize that when he sent the lepers to the temple to offer up the sacrifice, you realize that no one got healed of leprosy. So when they came to the temple to receive uh, the atonement or, or to perform the uh, ritual, the sacrificial, uh, sacrificial ritual with respect to leprosy, you realize it's probably the first time, most likely the first time anyone had ever shown up at the temple who had been healed of leprosy. I'm not aware of, of it ever happening. Maybe somebody has a source they can tell me where it's happened before. I would gladly acquiesce to that. But I'm going to suggest to you that maybe that's the first time it's ever happened and the priest had to go back to the manual and look it up. So it's an open miracle. Many things happen, open miracle. But the reality is, is the open miracles only made the people, the, the enemies of the Mashiach, more angry. And, and, and why? why? Why are they so angry? And the answer is, as we'll learn here in a moment, we're answer, the answer is really jealousy. So it says um, in verse, uh, let's see, where are we? Where did we leave off? It took and cast in the pit, pit is at 25, verse 25. It says, they sat to eat food, they raised their eyes, and they saw, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead, their camels bearing spices, balsam, and lotus, on their way to bring them down to Mitzrayim, to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what gain will there be if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, but let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers agreed. This is why they had to, we had to sell the Mashiach to the Romans. We don't want his blood to be on our hands. He's our brother after all. Let it be the, on the hands of the, of, the, uh, of the Romans. But why was he sold to the Romans? Well, because uh, we talked about yesterday, and it talks about it in the comments today, about the fact that uh, in selling Yosef, they acquired Yosef, and in so doing, they acquired, they, they acquired the world. They acquired Egypt, right? So ultimately, everybody's salvation is found in Yosef, in Israel. This is why the scripture says that salvation is of the Jews, because we, as Jews, spiritually own everybody, because we sold Messiah ben Yosef. As a result of that, everything comes back to salvation in Israel, but why did the Romans have to participate? Romans are just Romans. They, rec they represent Gentiles. And why was it that the Gentiles are the ones who put the crown of thorns on Mashiach's head and hit him over the head with sticks and mocked him? Why did they do that? Well, just like in, in selling the cloak, they had to provide an inroad for themselves to be grafted in and so that they could no longer be Gentiles but be considered full-fledged Jews. What am I talking about? Well, the sages bring down uh, that Rabbi Akiva was someone who um, studied the Torah, obviously. He's considered one of the greatest rabbis uh, in Jewish history, but 
He studied the Torah, but particularly he studied the crowns of the letters of Torah. That was his particular interest. And it's believed that there are great secrets found in the crowns. But why did he study the crowns? What was it about Akiva that he was so interested in the crowns? And the answer is because Akiva was a convert. And so it was said that there are uh, 600,000 letters on the Torah scroll, 600,000 Hebrew letters, which correspond to the 600,000 souls that came out of Egypt. Well, so the question is asked, what about converts? Because a convert who comes in is as much a Jew as anybody. But if there are 600,000 letters, we know there are many more converts, so how, where, where, is, where, is, where are they in the Torah scroll, right? Where are they written in the book of life? Because the Torah scroll, my friends, is the book of life. And so where are they written in the, in the book of life? And the answer is that they are the crowns that are on the letters. You know how the letter, if you look at Torah scroll, the letter has little uh, jots and tittles, make little crowns. Those are called the crowns. Well, in Hebrew, the word for crown that's used is thorn. So the little lines that's, that are made from the letters is actually called a kotz, a thorn. And so therefore, every letter in the Torah has a crown of thorns. And so the converts come in vis-a-vis the crown of thorns, which is why the, it was left to the Romans to put the crown of thorns on him. The, the Jews had offered up the letter. They had offered up the letter of the law, which is Torah, the, 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 the Yeshua HaMashiach, the living Torah. And so it was left up to the Gentiles to put the crown of thorns on his head so that they could be grafted in and become Jews too. So, we continue reading. It says, Midianite men, traitors, passed by. They, they drew Yosef up and lifted him out of the pit and sold Yosef to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Then they brought Yosef to Egypt. So it says here, going back to verse 25, I just want to point out, it says, once they throw him into the pit, they threw him into the pit, and as far as they were concerned, you know, problem solved, to quote uh, Inspector Clouseau, the, uh, the, the brother that was their troubler is now gone. And so what does it say? It says in verse 25, they sat to eat food. It says in the art scroll uh, Humash, this proves that they had a clear conscience. Otherwise, they could not have seated themselves comfortably to eat with, the in, with all the uh, entreaties of their brothers echoing in their ear. Right? They sat down to eat food. They were relaxed. What did we do after we offered up Mashiach Yeshua? After we sold them into proverbial slavery and, and watched them be crucified? And, and uh, what did we do after that? We all sat down and had a Pesach Seder. Why? Because we believed that what we did was right. We believed that we were offering up a troubler of Israel. We believed that we were offering up a usurper of Israel. We believed that we were offering up and slaying a false Mashiach. We believed that it was a good thing that we were getting rid of this, this person, God forbid, who, who was supposed to be the king of Israel, but really wasn't. And so with a clear conscience, we sat down to eat the holiest meal of the year. We literally sat down to eat the holiest meal of the year, a Pesach Seder, just like the brothers sat down to eat. Exactly the same, exactly the same template. And so, it says here, 
continuing on in verse to, to uh, verse 27, the brother said, according to the commentary, he wanted to become our master. Now he will be a slave. Isn't this what we said about Mashiach? He wanted to be our king, but now, now he'll, he'll be offered up with the criminals. But God said, you sold your brother, then sat down to eat. The Holy One blessed me. He said of the, of, of the tribal ancestors, they will, there will yet come a time that your descendants will be sold in the midst of a feast. And so it was many centuries later in Shushan that the king and Haman sat down to drink, and as it says in Esther 3.15, and after that they plotted to exterminate the Jews. This is going to come back on you. But he was offered up, and uh, they didn't realize, but this is all the plan, that he would actually become the king of the world. They offered him up for 20 pieces of silver. Isn't that interesting? We offered up Mashiach for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because that's the price you give for a slave. But why do we offer 20 pieces of silver for, for Yosef? Why 20 for him and 30 for the Mashiach? The answer is because 20 pieces of silver happens to be the exact amount that was given for the redemption of the firstborn, the Pidyon Habin. And it also happens to be the amount given for the half shekel. So we, have, we give this amount now Whenever we, uh, we, we, we redeem a firstborn son, we do that in the merit of the sin of, of uh, forsaking the firstborn son, Yosef. Remember, he was not literally the firstborn son. Reuben was the firstborn son. But Reuben has lost his firstborn son uh, status because of his sin with respect to Bilhah. So Yeshua is the firstborn son of God. But somebody would point out, and someone did one time to me, trying to argue. They said, no, no, no. Israel is the firstborn son, as it says in the Torah. So if the Israel is the firstborn son, how could Yeshua be the firstborn son? Well, the answer is that Yeshua is Israel, but that's a little bit too esoteric. So let me just make it simpler, more simple. And that is that uh, Reuben lost his firstborn son status when he moved the bed of Bilhah. Uh, so... Israel lost their firstborn status when they danced around the golden calf. So it says here, this is why we give uh, these offerings um, with respect to Yosef. Now, continuing the story, it says, in uh, 29, Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Yosef was not in the pit, so he rent his garments. Returning to his brothers, he said, The boy is gone, and I, where can I go? They took Yosef's tunic, slaughtered a goatling, and dipped the tunic in the blood. They dispatched a fine woolen tunic, and they thought it, uh, and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Identify, if you please, is it your son's tunic or not? He recognized it and said, My son's tunic, a savage beast, devoured him. Yosef was surely been torn to bits. In verse 34, it says, Then Yaakov rent his garments and placed sackcloth on his loins, and mourned his son for many days. Now, Yaakov is likened to, he's like a type, if you will, of Hashem in this whole story. Okay? It says in verse 34, to the commentary to verse 34, Then Yaakov rent his garments in an act of mourning, and placed sackcloth on his loins as an act of penance. For, as Mari well writes in his response, if one dispatched an emissary to a dangerous area and that emissary is killed, the sender must undertake acts of repentance. 
So Hashem sent Mashiach Yeshua as an emissary to a very dangerous area. And that emissary was killed, which of course is part of the plan. So then we read when Yeshua is offered up and he dies, that the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom, and that there's earthquake and uh, tombs are cracked open, and earth, uh, you know, earth gets uh, broken up, and so on and so on. What's going on here? Many people uh, interpret the veil being rent as somehow that means that we have direct access to the holy of holies, whereas we didn't before. But that's actually not true at all, because no one had access to the holy of, his, holy of holies except the high priest. But you couldn't even go into the holy place unless you were a priest. So certainly that's not what it means. And besides that, why does it mean that the veil was rent from the top to, to the bottom and not from the bottom to the top? That would make more sense. Or maybe across the middle. Why specifically the top? And the answer is, is that in the, in the Koholet, uh, um, or Sleek, in, in uh, yeah, it, well, Lamentations, I believe it is, it refers to the parochet, the veil, as the garments of God, his royal robe. And so what happens when a Jew uh, is in mourning? When something terrible has happened, he reaches up to the top of his garment and tears from the top down, and he rends his garments. It says here that he rends his garments and he put on sackcloth and, he, uh, and ashes. So the, the rending of the, of, the, of the veil and the tearing up of the earth with the earthquake is God's reaction to the death of the emissary that he sent, Messiah Yeshua. So the question is, is given here, and this is our final thing. We'll conclude with this because uh, there's so much to all of this, but I want to try to get to this particular point because it's particularly powerful today. The Art Scroll Humash brings down this incredible insight. It says, and this is on page 206, if you have an Art Scroll Humash. It says, why were the brothers the ones who made Yosef suffer? Now, we kind of covered this yesterday, but I want to, I want to highlight it today because this is so good what's written here. It says, the hand of heaven was at work in the sale of Yosef. The brothers thought he was a menace to them and to the unity and destiny of the family. They thought that they would kill him. And a dead man cannot reign. They, they, wanted to, what, they wanted to kill him. Why? Because they didn't want him to reign over them. If you kill somebody, he can't reign, right? So if we, kill, if we kill Yeshua, he can't be king of Israel if we kill him. Little did they know that he would be resurrected. It says they thought that they would make him a slave. And a slave can't reign. If we sell him to the Romans, how can he be king of the Jews? If we sell him to the Romans, how can he be king of the Jews? But God thought otherwise. Yosef would be king no matter what they did. Hashem said, listen, you kill him, fine. You sell him, fine. No matter what you do, he's going to be king. If you kill him, I'll just resurrect him. It's okay. In fact, I've already put the power of resurrection in his hand. That's why he's the resurrection and the life. Just like Pharaoh gave everything to his viceroy Yosef and put all authority in his hand and said, the only thing that separates between me and you is the throne. I've given everything to Mashiach Yeshua. So you can kill him, but the fact, the thing is, he is life. How can you kill life? So it says here, the sages teach, our father Yaakov would have had to descend to Egypt in chains and a collar, said God. He's my firstborn son. Shall I bring him down there in disgrace? Rather, I will lead his son before him and he will be forced to descend after him. Breshis Rabbah 86.2 In other words, I don't want to see Yaakov in chains and, and shackles and a, and a collar around his neck led, led along by like some kind of dog. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to allow Yosef to take his place 
so that Yaakov can go down as a free man. It says, but if Yosef had to go to Egypt, why did, why did his great and righteous brothers have to be the instruments of his, of his mistreatment? Why? Why did Israel have to betray the Mashiach? Why couldn't somebody else betray the Mashiach? Why couldn't they be happy about it and the Romans swoop in and capture Mashiach? Why did Israel have to be the ones to offer up the Mashiach? This is the sages saying that Mashiach ben Yosef is going to be killed in battle. What they all think, and they all still think today, that it's going to be the, the, the evil Kalipa that's going to kill the Mashiach in battle. What they didn't realize, it was going to be them who killed him in battle. But why? Because Jews are evil? No. It's because they're righteous. See, this goes against the concepts of our Western mindset. It had to be somebody righteous to do this in order to make the offering valid. Because a sinner, it wouldn't work. So it says here, when people are good, God rewards them by making them the agents of performing good deeds. This is why a sinner brings the offering, but it's the high priest, the righteous high priest, who actually offers the offering. Because a sinner can't offer the offering. It requires somebody of righteousness to make the offering. So it says, and when people are bad, God makes them the agents of bringing about harm. Shabbos 32a. But whenever people are considered good or bad in God's scale, is measured on an individual basis according to their own potential. Great people are judged more strictly than others because much more is expected of them. What would be overlooked in ordinary people or even praised and inferior ones may fall short of the mark when it comes to the men like Jacob's sons. It is true that the brothers had reason to dislike Yosef. According to their own evaluation of their mission and his deeds, they had reason even to hate him. But... Their verdict was tainted by jealousy. This is exactly what happened in the first century. The, the leaders looked at Yeshua and said, the whole world's going after him. It's jealousy, my friends, jealousy. And jealousy, by the way, is what spawns a lot of hatred. It's jealousy. So it says here, And because men of their stature had no right to be jealous, God made them the instruments to bring Yosef to Egypt in such a heartless manner. To their lot fell the calamity of having sold their brother into slavery and causing their father 22 years of grief. But, it goes on to explain, but all that was actually to atone for their jealousy and to bring the whole world to salvation. For it says right here in the Art Scroll Humash, Joseph was in Egypt to save the world. To save the world. How did he save the world? He saved the world from famine, yes, but he also saved the world by bringing, by, by bringing the Jewish people to Egypt and keeping them alive, which kept the bloodline of Mashiach Yeshua alive. So this is why we have to understand, ultimately, that everything is for, from God's hands. And there's a reason why everything has to happen the way in which it happened. The end of our Aliyah today. I hope that it's been a blessing to you. Tomorrow we'll continue the story. We'll actually shift gears and, and divert a little bit from Yosef and talk about uh, Judah and his uh, happenings with Tamar. I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful, awesome day. And uh, smile today. Make somebody happy. Make sure when you walk around, have a big smile on your face and tell somebody shalom, shalom. And shine the light of Messiah Yeshua. We will see you in the morrow. Bezrat Hashem. Amen.